0: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
1: This is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Welcome
2: into the show. This is Scoops with Danny Mack on a Wednesday, and my guest will be Brian Walton of the CardinalNation.com as we talk a little Cardinals baseball and baseball in general. Hey, let's just get it figured out. Let's play 162. Let's, you know what, let's just get started with the uh, spring training season. You know what, it's uh, supposed to start, by the way, a week from, or excuse me, two months from yesterday. So let's get it going, okay?
0: I agree. Amen to that
2: amen to that is right hey got a little breaking news and this is good news if you um are a fan of st louis university men's basketball who by the way won last night so they are now five and oh they beat indiana state uh fox sports midwest has stepped up and they will televise the game tomorrow night against nc state that game was added uh, at the very beginning of this week, and they did not have a television partner to step up. Well, Fox Sports Midwest has stepped up. They needed to get that game on TV. Fox Sports Midwest has stepped up, and you can see the game tomorrow night on Fox Sports Midwest. That is a massive game for Slough because... They were just two spots out, just a few points out of the top 25. And with the win last night, if they win on Thursday, you can book it. They're going to be in the top 25. They've got Minnesota on Sunday. So tomorrow night, that is a big, big game. And you can see the game on Fox Sports Midwest. So that's great news. And that just broke uh, about a minute ago. All right. Uh, let's start with a little college football. The standings college football playoff stays the same. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. But I want to start with this what's going on with Mizzou they've got Mississippi State this weekend they're going to go to a bowl game really had a fun visit with Randy Carricker yesterday with Gabe Diarman of PowerMizzou.com Eli Drinkowitz he's getting things done and it's not only with wins during a pandemic so he surprised a lot of folks in the SEC with that but he's also doing it on the recruiting front
3: you guys have talked to him you've seen him uh, you know whether it's on social media or just in interviews He's got charisma. He's got energy, right? You can, you can see how, hey, this guy could, could be on a, and you can't say sit in the living room anymore because that doesn't happen, but could be on a FaceTime call with a kid and a kid could come away going, I really like that guy, man. Um, you know, and, and, uh, honestly, Missouri's last two head coaches, like, they had a lot of strength, but, I don't think one of them was, like, being a salesman, right? That just wasn't their personality. I I think Drinkwitz is, and and sometimes that comes with a negative connotation. Like, you have to back up what you sell as a coach or it's going to quit working. But he he gets PR. He's got energy. Um, He's out there. He says and does things that a lot of college football coaches just won't say and do out loud, right? I mean, he is openly talking last week about flipping guys' commitments. Um, you know, most most coaches, uh, it, it, it's a little. It's not Lane Kiffin, but it, there's a little Lane Kiffin there, right? I mean, most coaches are going, well, we we like the guys we have, you know, and, and uh, hey, we don't we don't really talk about that other stuff, and it, you know, it, they're very buttoned up, and he's not, and and I like that. I appreciate it in my job, and and I think kids appreciate it, and I think obviously it sells. I mean, when you're a new coach, you sell hope. Um, and you sell potential more so than obviously what you've done on the field and, and he's doing a good job of that um, it really it's only I've been doing this 17 years this is only the second new coach I've covered and the last new coach didn't get that new coach recruiting bump because he took over probably at the worst time he could possibly have taken over in December of 2015
2: that's exactly right and I was thinking about who could be the SEC coach of the year And you look at what's going on in Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher, he's just outside the college football playoff. You look at Alabama, Nick Saban is always going to get recognition, especially in uncertain times. You think about Dan Mullen down in Florida, but they lost against LSU. I would have said prior to the Georgia game, how about Eli Drinkwitz? Why not? Talking about it with Randy, he would certainly get a vote. Maybe a first place vote. He's a guy that you have to look at. In this COVID-19 situation, coming in, spring practice canceled. You start in the fall, you're not sure what was left over from the previous program until you get on the field. Then you get on the field, you get the huge win against LSU. Understand that the LSU win, not what it was maybe a year ago, but it's still LSU. It's still the SEC. Then you go out and you pick up wins that normally you didn't with game management. He's done that. Then last week, he's got a little of that Lane Kiffin, you bet. He said in a uh, tweet, hey, it's the holiday season. Merry Flipmas. He's starting to flip some kids that are going to different programs that are top 50 kids that are now going to Mizzou. He's starting to load up. He's making this fun. It's a lot of fun. How about Gabe? Where are they going to go in terms of a bowl game?
3: I think most and everybody understands the bowls are a little bit weird this year, right? We don't we don't really know if the selection process is going to be exactly the same because there are, there are zero rules for a bowl game. Like if if some bowl game said we want zero nine Vanderbilt, they could go take zero nine Vanderbilt. That's that's what it is this year. But I we're assuming the conferences are going to work to keep it somewhat normal and uh assuming that happens missouri is likely headed to the outback or the gator bowl uh i think both those games are on january 2nd the gator bowl this year's against an acc team would probably be like a miami or a north carolina uh the outback bowl was against a big 10 team and that would be pretty reliant on what happens with Ohio State and, you know, if they get in the playoff or if they don't, but the like, I mean, it could be Indiana, Northwestern, iowa wisconsin uh in, in that bowl game depending on again what happens with the big ten and, and kind of the playoff
2: if you would have said before the season mizzou's going to the outback of the gator bowl you would have taken that in a heartbeat now what about the college football playoff came out again last night alabama notre dame clemson ohio state notre dame clemson uh they're playing again gary Barta, the college football playoff committee now this one gets your attention. Florida loses at home to LSU, and yet they drop just one spot.
3: Part of where the rankings come in every week is what happens around uh, that team. I'll give you an example. Miami, and, and I'm not just—I'm not avoiding the discussion. I'm moving to another area where the committee spent a lot of time. Miami dropped, uh, went from 10th and dropped to 18th. And some have suggested some might think that was too far. Maybe some don't think it was far enough. But either way, North Carolina moved up. And, and the committee felt Miami was definitely needing to move below uh, North Carolina. But when you look at all the teams, where do you stop Miami's uh, placement? Because BYU, Iowa, North Carolina, Northwestern, USC, and Coastal Carolina all won last week. So it, part of it is what happened to that team. And then part of it is what happened to the teams around it. And in the end, uh, picking the best team for that slot. For, for that particular place in the rankings. So when I hear that,
2: if Notre Dame would lose to Clemson, they're not going to be out of the college football playoff. They're number two right now. That would give them one loss. So essentially, the only team I could see missing out, two teams actually, Clemson if they lose to Notre Dame, that would give them two losses with Trevor Lawrence this time. They would be out. And if Ohio State would lose, they would be out. But even if Notre Dame loses one game with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, they're still in the top four.
0: Do you view Clemson, if they lose, say they lose in the ACC championship game, do you view it only as really they had only one loss because, because they have Trevor, no Lawrence?
2: Good question, but two losses?
0: Because I think AM, that m that Florida loss, yeah. looks terrible now.
2: Now it does because Florida loses to LSU at home. How about Iowa State being six?
0: I don't I don't get that one. <laughs> that one was kind of shocking. Talk about the disrespect for Cincinnati, too. You drop a spot, you know, you, you didn't play. But you're 8-0. To me, Cincinnati's 6.
2: I would agree with that, too. ESPN College Football Insider Mark Schlebaugh was on this morning and talked about what happens if Notre Dame does lose.
3: No, I think I think Alabama and Notre Dame are secure regardless of, of what happens this weekend. Um, you know, you've already got a, a win over then-number-one Clemson, the North Carolina win. Um looks better and better after after North Carolina beat up Miami this weekend. But I, I think Notre Dame's safe for sure and I think um Alabama's safe. I think the the big question would be is if Clemson loses again to Notre Dame, what happens to that fourth spot? You know, do they I, I don't think they could still go with Clemson. Maybe they could and just and put it on Trevor Lawrence not being there in the regular season when they lost in overtime, you know, or do they go with Texas A and M or, or somebody else?
2: So there you go, and he's a college football insider and Again, that's your your question. It's the Trevor Lawrence factor. I think, though, with two losses against Notre Dame, probably out.
0: The other thing, too, his backup, I think he threw for over 350 yards in that loss, too, by the way.
1: Yeah, he was pretty darn good. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
2: As we do every Wednesday, a chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. And a lot to get into, and we hope that we're talking about baseball as we get closer and closer to what would be now typically in a normal season under two months away from the start of spring training. As a matter of fact, yesterday would have been two months to the day of the start of spring training. And as always, great to visit with you, Brian Walton from TheCardinalNation.com. How's it going, Brian?
4: I'm doing great, Dan. But, uh, boy, you look at the runway that uh, remains in terms of time between now and the, the regular opening of spring camp, and you just wonder how everything's going to get done, all the decisions that have to be made about the structure of the game and, and how they're going to get paid and, and uh, you know, all the guys that are unsigned. It's just It's just crazy what still has to be done.
2: We had the uh, baseball virtual winter meetings last week, and I I was hoping we'd have more, at least an idea, about a DH or at least maybe some options about spring training or start of a season or whatever the case may be, but we really didn't get that as we all are really in, a, I, I think, a waiting period, all of us, because the vaccine is starting to roll out in our country and uh, it's it may be weeks before we know when baseball would start. I, I think that's kind of the takeaway I got from everything in baseball and to an extent sports as we just kind of wait and see and try to buy time as we get ready for a start of a what we hope would be a full baseball season.
4: Yeah, it's just it's just difficult to ascertain, how much more we're gonna really know in a month or six weeks than we do today. I mean, certainly there are positive signs, but I don't think anybody thinks that we're gonna be past you know, the virus, we're going to be past all the vaccines by the start of spring training or even the start of opening day. So at some point in time, somebody's got to stand up and make some reasonable assumptions about what's going to happen and, you know, make the decisions necessary to enable the season to get started whenever they're going to start it.
2: So that's kind of what I I took away last week from John Mosaylock. So we uh, visit every Wednesday and and John Mosaylock was holding a press conference after our visit. And it was kind of like, hey, have patience, which is what he said right after the World Series in holding a press conference with the local media. That was the theme, uh, to me, of his presser with the media. Have patience on free agency and just about everything else.
4: Yeah, his catch line that he used multiple times, Dan, you and I were both on it, so we both heard it, January is the new December. And, you know, what's implied between the lines are, you know, anything that you think would have gotten, ha- you know, would have happened in December, free agent signings or trades or whatever, probably are not going to happen until at least next month in January. And then, you know, as we've discussed already, you know, short on the heels of January is the opening of camp in February. So it's just, there's just so much that has to be done in, in such little time. But I mean, you step back and you understand, hey, you know, I get why the uncertainty is causing problems. but Like I said before, I just don't think that things are going to be much more certain in January or February than they are today.
2: Instructional camp for many years was right after the minor league season. So you'd finish up the season, you'd have instructional camp, and then it changed. The idea was Gary LaRock and his staff, uh, John Mosaylock, they said, well, you know, let's give these guys a mental and physical break. What we could do, though, is have instructional camp after the holidays, get them in before spring training, which I really did think that that was the smart way to do it. And then all of a sudden, oh, this pandemic hits, and now we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. So, it looks like instructional camp for these minor leaguers, Brian, that's going to be awfully tough to do in 2021.
4: Yeah, it's it's just not going to happen in January. And uh, Moseley pretty much disclosed that. And it's unfortunate the Cardinals are kind of a victim of, of the calendar. And by the way, subscribers of the Cardinal Nation, uh, there's a story up this morning that goes into great detail on instructs and minor league camp and all the implications in detail of what Moseley said. But to the point um, most major league organizations, 28 of the 30 organizations, found a way to get instructional camps scheduled in last fall, this last fall. So, you know, it was basically in September, October. But the Cardinals and the Yankees are the other club that said, no, we're not going to do it in the fall. And the Cardinals, I hope they would stay on their January schedule. But the you know, situation with COVID and money and uncertainty you know, has, has kept the Cardinals to, from being able to hold their January 2021 camp either. So the majority of the minor leaguers who are going to report to spring camp whenever spring camp opens you know, will not have played organized baseball for a, a year and a half. And it just puts so much more pressure on the player development system, the coaches, and the players themselves you know, to get up to speed and, and try to make up for that lost time. And it's going to be a real challenge this year.
2: You've got to wonder, too, about if and when they head to spring training. Let's just say, for argument's sake, spring training gets off without a hitch, the major league spring training. Normally you would have guys like, let's say, uh Kaminsky and uh or rather Thompson and let's say Libertor and let's say a Nolan Gorman so guys that you'd love to get in a major league camp watch them perform you gotta wonder if the numbers are going to be down this year because you want to make sure you don't have as many people around each other I hate that part of it because this is where I love to watch those guys perform and get their experience see where they're at you gotta wonder if you're going to have that this year
4: well and and then you you refer again to another point that that John Mosellock implied and that was he said one of the reasons he mentioned that they didn't want to do instructional camp in January is they didn't want to get the players hot and then have a long delay between when minor league spring training might start. So right there was a tell that says you know he may he may be worried that the minor leaguers can't come in on time. So one of the rumors, and again, this is all speculation at this point, one of the rumors that might be how baseball might handle it this year is that they only bring in the major leaguers and the AAA-type guys into camp. And those guys train, and they don't bring in the rest of the full season, so the AA, high A, and class A, they don't bring those players in until the end of March, beginning of April, after the other guys have left. And then the dominoes fall that says, well, your short-season guys you know, can't come in until after that. So it might be a way to stagger the players that come through, but the bottom line is the minor leaguers won't get a full regular season of 140 games. Uh, but, you know, if that's something that, they, that, that has to be done to accommodate the COVID environment, you know, it's at least a creative approach that hopefully could get everybody on the field this year.
2: One of the things that we have, uh, and Brian Walton is my guest, thecardinalnation.com, that we have at the uh, winter meetings is the Rule 5 draft. And the Cardinals did have a little movement, did they not with the rule five?
4: Yeah, the Cardinals had an opportunity. Uh, they had three they still have three open spots on their 40man roster. So they conceivably could have gone in to the rule five draft and taken a, a, a major league quality type player. But, you know, given that the the order of the Rule 5 draft is reverse of the standings of prior year, the Cardinals always pick late in the round, and apparently anybody that they were interested in was already gone. A number of pitchers got taken. But the Cardinals passed in the Major League phase of the Rule 5 draft. Then after that's done, there are what's called the Minor League phase, and these are typically lower-level players, and they can be selected, and they don't have to be returned uh, to their prior team. So they're basically, uh, you know, Done that once. Once an organization gets them, they get to keep them. And the Cardinals had an interesting guy, a left-handed pitcher named Garrett Williams, who has a wealth of talent, but has had some control difficulties. And he's a former Oklahoma State player, and has had some time with the San Francisco Giants briefly. And he's a guy that you know could be a starter, or you know might end up being a reliever in the system. You know, you can never have enough left-handed pitching. On the other side of the coin, the Cardinals lost to Williams. Just as they picked up Garrett Williams, they lost uh, right-hander Ronnie Williams, who was a double-A reliever, uh, and, as well as another pitcher that they picked up in the, uh, in the Rule 5 draft the year before. So it, it's kind of interesting. You know, the you, you, you know, Rule 5 giveth, and then it, uh, <laughs> it taketh away. And I'm talking there about uh, Jordan Brink, who actually spent a year, a whole year in the Cardinal system, but never got to play in a game.
2: Let's uh, talk about your, your top prospect list as you're counting down the top prospects at thecardinalnation.com. You're closing in now on the top 10, but there's a couple of guys that have been now um, uh, revealed in your top 15. But On um, Hell Rundone is one of them. I'm going to go through a couple of names that fans will know. So, actually, a handful. On Hell Rundone is somebody that we have heard his name a lot of. Where, where do you think he fits into the plans of, of 2021?
4: Well, it's it's interesting. If we would have had this conversation, and I'm sure we did, uh, 12 months ago, and we would have talked about the, the, the young pitchers who had a, a potential to contribute to St. Louis in in 2020, we would have said, well, you know, Jake Woodford. We would have said Angel Rondon. We would have said Johan Oviedo. We probably would have said Rondon before Oviedo. The two of them basically pitched side-by-side in Springfield in 2019, and Rondon had – I mean, a record-breaking year. I mean, he won the Texas League ERA title. He had the best year by a Springfield pitcher, uh, top three all time, with Lance, Lance Lynn in, in 2009 having been the best. So, I mean, this guy, and he was a, the pitcher of the year across the Cardinals minor league system, just had a tremendous year. But for whatever reason, Ron Doan, and he got invited to instructional camp and major league spring training camp and the summer camp and all that, but we didn't have a lot of headlights on what was going on down in the alternate camp at Springfield. And when push came to shove and the Cardinals needed somebody, Oviedo, you know, was the guy that got the call and did what to, to his benefit did well. But Ron Don was a guy I thought that was, you know, was going to get the call up. So, He, Ron Dolan, was added to the 40-man this winter to be protected from the Rule 5, so he's now on the 40-man roster. And I'm sure he will be a guy that will be in the mix with with Oviedo, with Woodford, the guys who will probably be starting every fifth day in Memphis and you know sort of be that next tier of starter to come up when St. Louis invariably needs help in the rotation during 2021.
2: I thought this last year, another guy that is uh, on your list this past week was kind of up and down, but that was because of control issues, Junior Fernandez.
4: Yeah, Junior Fernandez is a guy that's been in the Cardinal system for so long, and sort of like Rondone, he, he did a, a, a major leap, you know, in terms of his uh, results and capability two years ago, and, you know, he's a guy that just needs a little more opportunity and a little more chance to show his stuff, and whether, you know, he makes the team out of spring camp, as he did this last year before he got sick, you know, he had made the team, but you know he was a guy that again you just wonder you know was his part of his unevenness in in 2020 you know uh, you know due to you know due to the virus so you know we just want to see his health he's a guy that we've seen can throw upper 90s and and uh, you know has a has a very very good changeup uh, as his secondary pitch so and by the way folks who who want to go to the Cardinal Nation and read about these guys in great detail in terms of scouting report as well in the environment the reports for Rondon and Fernandez are both free so he can come in and hopefully you'll you'll like him really well and subscribe and want to read all the, the comparable reports and everybody else.
2: One of the players I'm excited about, Tink Hence. I've heard a lot about this kid. Where's he at right now, Brian?
4: Tink Hence, you know, interesting in that the, the Cardinals, you know, there was so much focus was on the top two draft picks that the Cardinals took last year, Jordan Walker, the third baseman, and then Mason Wynn, who, you know, drew, drew a lot of attention because not only is he a, a very, very good pitcher, but he's also a shortstop and Tink Hens was the, the next guy taking the cardinals draft the second round got over a million dollars to sign high schooler um, and but when the Cardinals drew the line in terms of how many people they could afford to bring to Springfield into that alternate camp, the roster was set at sixty and they and they couldn 't go beyond that, so they decided to to bring in Walker, win, and they didn't bring in hence and I thought gosh that's you know too bad because. You know, you'd like to see the guy get work. But, you know, when I read the scouting reports on Tank Hence, I mean, he's almost there in terms of his pitches. I mean, granted, obviously there's more tuning that needs to be done. But this is a guy who's really what he needs to do is work on bulking up to, to gain physical strength, to get to to gain muscle. And so, you know, he's a guy I'm sure got sent home with a list of things to do, you know, in the weight room and all to prepare himself. But of all the players, that the seven players the Cardinals took in the 2020 draft, I'm after going through this whole process of, of ranking the, the prospects. I'm more excited about the upside of 10 Tenkints than maybe any of
2: them. How about Trajan Fletcher?
4: Trajan Fletcher, second rounder, you know, year before, and you kind of forget about the guys, right? That or what, two years ago, you know, you can't kind of forget about the guys who have you know been drafted and started in the system. He got off to a really good start in Johnson City in, in his first action and. You know he's going to be a guy who's definitely going to come into camp and be expected to make that Class A roster, and the Class A team is going to be in Palm Beach now. Uh, But a guy with tremendous tools, uh, you know, came out of a cold weather state in Maine, uh, decided to come into the draft early, so he came in at 17. So you know he's only going to be playing at 19 this year, uh, you know, turning 20. And Trey John Fletcher is a guy that you know is going to get a chance, as I said, to play full season ball and. You know, there's kind of this gap in the, in the outfield, you know, in the Cardinals system. You know, there's kind of a gap in the system after Dylan Carlson came up. There's not really a lot of top prospects after him until you get down to Fletcher. So, you know, he's going to have, I guess my point is, he's going to have lots of runway ahead as fast as he can show he's ready to progress you know he'll be hopefully that next wave in a couple of years uh, who will be uh, you know pushing on the the gates to get into bush stadium.
2: Brian for a guy that covers the minor leagues what did you think about the elimination of of some of these minor league teams in terms of family-owned businesses, the small towns and communities that support these places, the fandom to watch maybe a young guy that surprises everybody and gets through that that one uh, A-ball team to double-A, AA, triple-A major leagues, all those things. But what did you think about the elimination of uh, these minor league teams?
4: I spent a lot of years in the corporate world. I understand what what downsizing is. I understand what driving a business to its best financial return is about. And, unfortunately, that's what's happening here. Major league baseball organizations realize that with the wealth of information that they have and the the greater training and focus on the the players' bodies and understanding what they can do and what they can't, that they don't need as many minor league players and they don't need as many many minor league teams. And and the unfortunate downside of that is that, you know, significant areas in America now are no longer going to have – uh, professional baseball within driving distance of their homes. And the folks at FanGraphs did a, a recent analysis. I encourage folks to go there in great detail looking at the, the parts of the countries that lost their affiliated teams and, you know, what that's going to mean to the fans in those locations. And it's just, you know, it's just an unfortunate byproduct of Major League Baseball running the minors in a in a more efficient manner. For the Cardinals, you know, obviously they've lost their 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 affiliate in Johnson in Johnson City, Tennessee, a, a, a relationship that went back like 80 years. Uh, you know, those fans were Cardinals fans you know, through and through. And the State College organization, you know, playing a great in a great facility on the, the campus of Penn State. The New York Penn League is gone as well. So it's unfortunately a a, a part of progress, and I understand it. I don't like it. And I feel for, you know, the fans who are going to be losing organized baseball.
2: I, I feel the same way. I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, what are you working on right now at thecardinalnation.com?
4: Well, as I said, I got a detailed article up this morning. And those who want to get into I spent a lot of time thinking about what John Mosaloc said. And I, you know, went into the details of his comments to, to look at the implications of, of what that means for uh, the minor leagues across the Cardinals system this year, this coming year. Um, and we touched on some of those topics here. And, and now we're down into the top 10 of the prospect's uh, ranking. So within the next 10 days, we'll be down to number one. Uh, but, of course, we'll have another uh, time to talk again before that. But, uh, you know, each one of these reports every day, great detail on scouting from, from Matt Thompson of Prospects Live. And then I go into the detail about where the player fits in the organization and what we should expect from him in the future. So a wealth of information about the the best players in the Cardinal system that we hope to be seeing playing again in 2021.
2: Isn't that the truth? Hey, Brian, great stuff. Thank you. We'll uh, talk next Wednesday. Okay, Dan. That's Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com.
1: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
2: Should mention within the hour that uh, this past hour that slew against NC state uh, will be televised tomorrow on Fox sports Midwest. So if you're looking forward to watching undefeated Slu and a game that could propel them in the top 25, that game will be tomorrow at seven on Fox sports Midwest. I'll have the call with. Uh, scott highmark earlier this morning tanner just talked about it on his sports update we had uh, pete abraham on of the boston globe he's one of the top baseball writers in the country and the the last 24 hours have said okay owners at least some have said hey, we want to have everybody vaccinated before we, we get the season going. Now, that didn't sit kindly with a lot of players. Would the players accept fewer than 162 games?
4: No,
5: I, I certainly don't. And you look at what they were able to accomplish last year at the World Series. They, they had games and they had fans in the stands and there was no big outbreak. And uh, it was successful. They, they managed to get through the entire postseason and at least in the, in the ALCS and the World Series, they had fans. So in the minds of the Players Association, they've proven that they can do this and, and that there's no reason that they can't bring that same formula to 30 other ballparks and, and get through a season until more people or most people have the vaccine. And to me, I mean, as somebody who wants to watch baseball, I, I don't see why that wouldn't work. I, I went to the World Series and I covered that and it worked. Um, there weren't as many people in there as you would you know expect down the road, but they had a 11,000, almost 12,000 people for some of the games, so I don't know why if, um, you know, the only reason the owners would want to shut this down is, is they, they feel like they're going to lose money without having full houses. More on that in a
2: moment. Now, you got to wonder if you're the casual fan out there, you're saying... Now, wait a minute. You got through it last year, like Pete said. You're watching college football. You're watching the NHL potentially come back in mid-January. College football is going. College basketball is going. And at that point in time, you would like to think that the vaccine is is getting flooded into the general popul- uh, population. So why wouldn't you try to start, even if they're not fans in the stands? Now, owners may be losing a little bit of money in the front part of this. I get it. Maybe, though, the owners are playing hardball looking ahead to next year's contentious CBA negotiations.
5: I think that's part of it, and I think they they sense that the union, uh, that that they can bend the union to their will because they were able to do it last year and and only have a 60-game season. Uh, Scott Barnes made the comment yesterday that he thought they could have played 100 games based on the protocols and that they waited too long to start the season. And given, I guess there's two ways of looking at that, they were able to get through 60 games, but it was touch and go for a stretch, so uh there's two ways that you can look at that if on both sides but i uh, to me it seems like at this point given what the other leagues have able to do that they they should be able to get through 162. two
2: months from yesterday that was supposed to be the start and still on schedule we think the start of spring training the first game last year i believe it was february 22nd or so first game of cardinal spring training schedule so about a couple of months away Would spring training this year be pushed back?
5: You know, in the last two weeks, every time I've spoken to, whether it's an agent or somebody affiliated with the Red Sox, the team I I primarily cover, you hear, well, whenever spring training starts or whenever we get to Florida or if we get to Florida, nobody seems to be very convinced that spring training is going to start on time in February. And and they have a schedule. they, They have dates to report. But... No one seems to think that that's actually going to happen. I guess the question now is, how far will they push it back? Will, will they still have spring training in Florida or in Arizona? And is there some kind of plan to have a, a shorter regular season? And I think a lot of that, that that's going to be a, a big bone of contention between the union and the owners in the next few weeks. So
2: that's the update with MLB. There is some news this morning, by the way, within the last hour on the NHL, and I'll have that coming up with Alex Ferrario.
1: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
2: Crossover, Alex Ferrario and BK coming up. All right, Alex, this was uh, put out earlier this morning and this is from the world hockey forum in moscow gary bettman was a part of this forum and he said the 2020-21 nhl season could start in mid-january which we've all talked about include a shortened schedule temporary realignment division made up of seven teams based in canada division games only games in home arenas hubs or a combination Now, that is something that would be, I think, maybe problematic for some of the players. His quote, we are focused on starting it at some point, uh, hopefully in mid-January, holding domestic and international competitions in the modern conditions of a pandemic. It is clear that we will not be playing an 82-game schedule for the regular season. I think everybody mm-hmm. pretty much got that, which we normally do, but we're going to try and play as many games as possible. He also said, right now we're focused on whether or not we're going to play in our buildings and do some limited traveling or play in a bubble, and that's something we're working on and getting medical advice on. We don't think we can conduct an entire regular season that way, but circumstances, depending on where COVID-19 is spiking and where the medical system is being taxed at any given time, may may require t- us to adjust. For example, we have a couple of clubs that can't hold training camp or conduct games even without fans in their current buildings or facilities. I would assume that's California, mm-hmm. and we're uh, going to have to move them somewhere else to play. If enough teams can't play, again, without fans in their own facilities, then we may have to move more and more towards a hub. It may be that some teams are playing in other buildings. It may be that a whole group of teams have to play in other buildings. Um, The hub thing, I I don't know what the appetite is there for players. What do you
0: think? There is no appetite for players. Uh, The only way that a hub is going to work, Dan, is if it's what they talked about before when it was speculation of, you know, going into a temporary hub for maybe a week and playing games. Like, let's say you go into a hub somewhere and the California teams come in. So you have the teams and you rotate through where you can play each other, something like that. But I can tell you, and Gary Bettman, I believe, said it in that uh, that press conference or that conference that he was doing that the players don't want to do. It no. was taxing on Dallas and Tampa to be in that bubble for two months. So there's no there's no possibility of a hub for a shortened season, but there is a possibility of – potential hub cities that you can bring teams in because remember they're playing the same division. You're not going outside your division. So the Pacific division could pick one spot that certain amount of teams play in. You play those baseball series like games, and then you go back to shifting and doing as less travel as possible. Okay. So that makes sense. You think the players would be up for that? I think they would because look, talking with players and talking with Joe, um, A week is about the max. And you know this, Dan. You've been on the road with teams. A week is about a max before players start to really get itchy, right? So I think if you're going temporary hub where you're going to, let's say you're going to Vegas, which that's no bad spot for a week anyway. Yeah. But you go to Vegas. They come back home broke, but whatever. Well, that's okay. We can figure that out ourselves. (laughs) You go to Vegas for a week, Dan, and let's say it's the Blues going into Vegas. You got, of course, the Golden Knights there, but then the California teams come in. So you got LA, Anaheim, San Jose. Now, the quarantining is going to be the part that I'm worried, like I'm wondering about. I don't think they would have to quarantine coming in. If not, you got four teams in one spot that you can go through a week and play five games. So that would be the way to do it. And I think players would be fine with that. And what the NHL talked about before was after that week in a hub, they would get a week off because you're playing a certain amount of games in a short amount of time.
2: Yeah. The quarantine thing though, is something you got to think about.
0: The biggest thing is going to be for Canada, but that's why they're doing that Canadian division. But I would imagine that's where it comes down to the local governments, Dan, like our our local governments saying, well, you got to have vaccination. If you want to do a mass gathering, because look, California is not allowing anybody to get together right now. Do they say that for teams in California? Because if you go somewhere else, like if the ducks go somewhere else, Anaheim might say, you can't come back until you quarantine for 14 days. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's why I think there's a holdup right now because I know a lot of people are wondering why haven't we heard anything? This is why. It's not finances anymore. It's, okay, how are we going to navigate through all of these obstacles to make sure that the season runs flawlessly? What's coming up on the show? We got Bob Nightingale of USA Today who put that article out yesterday, which nobody liked to read, Dan. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Kerber is going to join us at 1.30 to talk a little bit about what we just talked about and... I'm sure you've heard of this guy. Big name. Dan McLaughlin. Oh, man. Cardinals broadcaster. And we'll talk slew basketball. Yes. 1230. And maybe golf. And golf and
2: bowling. (laughs) All right. Looking forward to that. That's um, BK, Alex. No T-Dog? No T-Dog. All right. Talk to you tomorrow at 7 with Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN. You've
1: been listening to Scoops with Danny Mack, the podcast powered by I Promise